You're listening to Trending with Timory. So, what's trending? Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose the doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Thanks for being with me. I'm really excited about my guest that is joining me now. We'll be talking about what students think today beyond God and how even this lack of belief in God influences the topic. And we'll also be talking about some really important questions surrounding feminism and how women are interacting with the world today. My guest today is Helen Alvray. She's a professor of law at Scalia Law School at George Mason University. University. She also consulted for both Pope Francis and Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI as part of the Pontifical Council for the Laity. She's an expert in talking about things related to women, marriage, and so much more. Helen, thanks for being with me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, we've been talking about college students, and I would love to get your perspective because you are on the grounds working with future uh, people who are practicing law with law students. So as a law professor, what do you see is the greatest obstacle that current students have to overcome in order to find truth? Wow, that is such a great and huge question. You know, my answer may surprise you, and and. I think it's a lack of time and a propensity in life, and Pope Benedict said this first, of a lack of making time to think. Like, Mm -hmm. there are so many people, and students, very chief among them, are so busy feeding themselves huge quantities of information and meeting so many tests and hurdles that they have to overcome that the idea of stopping and asking the question, why, or is this true, or what makes it true, or what casts doubt on it, or what, what is the best system for accounting for my own life or the world as I see it, I, I actually think it's not bad will. Um, obviously, original sin and pride play a role with all of us, and, but but the lack of time and 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 a, and a falling out of the habit of thinking about what really matters to you, what's true, and what you ought to be doing. Wow, I think that that is such a clear and simple answer for those people who maybe feel like, man, you know, maybe that's me. Maybe I can't answer these questions. Maybe I can't say, you know, we were talking earlier, can people answer the question, am I happy? Do I believe in God? And a lot of people don't have yeah. answers to these questions. And Helen, my guest today is Helen Alvaro, if you're just joining us. Helen, I think that hits the nail on the head. Like, we're not pausing for just five minutes even to digest what maybe we just learned in a conversation we had with a friend or a professor or in a class. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm always reading a lot of very many things, but one of the books I'm reading recently is um, a bunch of uh, people, philosophers, explaining their turn to Catholicism. It's, it's a book called Faith and Reason, and it's um, Ignatius Press has it out. And one of the things that is really striking me, I've been reading <clears throat> about a full essay every other day, is these people, okay, they're philosophers, they stop to ask the questions. Oh, why? Um, the one that I read today just blew my mind. The guy was brought up with the severe dislike of Catholics on the ground that we were too, you know, focused on the Pope and, and the authority of the Church. And then he realizes that but for apostolic authority, we wouldn't even have the books of Scripture that he claimed were the only important thing there was about faith. It's just the Scriptures. And he went, oh my goodness, they were... They, what was put in the canon of Scripture was chosen by people over time who were, you know, in apostolic succession with the initial apostles and formed a, an authoritative church with Peter as the head. And he went, oh my gosh, I wouldn't even have my Scripture but for the institution of the church. The Catholics have it right. This guy mm-hmm. took time to think about this in college. He talked mm-hmm. about it with his girlfriend. And he kept asking the questions, why? He, you know, oh, I don't believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. And then he goes back into the scriptures and he finds Jesus doubling down on it. No, don't be horrified by eating my flesh. You're going to eat it. You're going to have to chew on it. He doubles down on it. And he goes, I, but he asked the questions and he took the time to, to search for the answers. And I mean, but this is not just a problem of students. I'm in my 50s. Mm-hmm. And I, all the time I have to stop and think. What's important for me to do today? What 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 questions are bothering me? What am I worried about? Is that worth worrying about? What are my children's questions? They're in their twenties. They're all in college or grad school now, and to to take time to to ask the the why with them, I, it is not just college students, but college students are very very pressed. Graduate students very pressed. It's all of us, but it's great to get in the habit when you're younger about asking why you're doing what you're doing and whether you want to keep doing it or whether you wouldn't like something better. My guest today is Helen Alvarez. She is the president of Women Speak for Themselves as as well as a professor of law at Scalia Law School at George Mason University. Helen, I was talking at the beginning of the show about how I have this fear of missing out right now slightly as all my neighbors have (laughs) pools and I just want to lay down in the pool. And you know, it's funny. I want to think. I just want to close my eyes and be able to process everything that's going on in in mm-hmm. the world right now, you mentioned it as well, kind of, we're all rushing. Everything's so fast paced. Yeah. Even during this quarantine, we're not really relaxing. We're jumping from one news article to another news article to checking in with oh, the next person. Oh, that is person. so true. Mm-hmm. So how mm-hmm. do you kind of stop and take that time to pull back to give yourself time to think? Right. You know, one of the things, and I, I've said this to my, my grad student kids in particular, um, I actually I calendar time to think. I calendar time to 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 walk with the rosary. I calendar time to give myself a few hours. I, I like to sew a needlepoint. After I spend, you know, six, eight hours a day minimum with my head in books, reading and writing. And so I, I like to sew little pieces of fabric together and pick colors of needlepoint stuff. And it, it restores my, my sanity and connection with the material world. Um, and I, I calendar it in. I, I look at my calendar in the morning. First thing I do is I build, I have like 40 minutes of prayer and reflection every morning, no matter what. 
no matter how crazy the day is. And it always sets me up for mm. a better day. And then I look at the calendar and I say, okay, usually what happens is I'll sit down and the next thing, you know, it's, it's eight and I look up and it's two and I'll say, no, at 1230, I'm going to do X. Either sometimes we have uh, adoration at my church. It's, we don't have crowds of people, but it's open for you to go in and do adoration if you want. Um, Sometimes I'll just say, I'm going to call so-and-so who's at home and lonely at this point, or I'm going to read an essay out of this. Uh, I have a son who's, um, we're going back and forth over the, the story, um, the Grand Inquisitor story out of the Brothers Karamazov. He's, a, mm. he's an economist, but he's, he likes to read fabulous literature. Yes. And, and so I will literally take a half hour and I'll say, okay, at 4.30, I'm going to go read a few philosophers on that. Like I, I, I build it in my calendar along with, I have an article due Wednesday. I have a speech tomorrow afternoon. I'm teaching two classes Friday. I build it in as every bit the important obligation. I literally write it in the book. I love that. It, making time, having that time-blocked calendar, I mean, it's a way for success. It's a way of planning, of being intentional, knowing at every moment during the day, I have purpose, even if that purpose at this point in the day is to relax and to not feel bad yeah. about relaxing because you scheduled the time. You know, it's funny. I took up needlepoint as a way to not feel bad about sitting with my husband in front of the news hour. <laughs> <laughs> needlepoint was like, I'm not wasting my time if I'm making something. <laughs> and I mean, every one of my it. sisters and friends can tell you, it's sort of like, Helen, I, I don't need another eyeglass case. Helen, en enough with the keychains. <laughs> and it's sort of like, nope, got to manufacture. So the needle point, it's really good for me, but it also, I do have a production problem. <clears throat> I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's you. a problem. But I do, it's relaxing, but just to sit and look at the TV wouldn't be quite enough. So... Right. It, it, it's a great thing. And then, then my husband wants my company. I sit with them, but I've got the needle point and I don't feel like, okay, this is bad. <laughs> That's Helen Alvarez. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie. You can find us at relevantradio.com forward slash trending. I'm talking to a kindred spirit here because I get it. I'm the same way. I don't like watching a movie more than once necessarily. And when I do, um, I like to sit there, you know, doing something with my hands, maybe even stretching, mm -hmm. using that time to work out. Like I'm not good at just oh sitting gosh. still. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the only time I really sit still is the spiritual reading and prayer. Because um, uh, if I was walking, I knew I won't be thinking about it. That's uh, it. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, so here's another question I have for you. With this increase of a general disbelief in God among students, um, what do you see is maybe a problem for practicing law because of that disbelief? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, let me say the first thing is, because I teach law and religion, and it is at a state university, so I'm not proselytizing, I'm not taking one particular viewpoint, but I have a classroom of 15 to 17 students, many of whom are religious. Now, they may be Sikh, they may be Orthodox, Evangelical, Baptist, Catholic. I also have atheists, Evangelicals, Mormons, different different uh, uh, varieties of Judaism, Islam. I, I got it all. It's a great public university. But um, I see a lot of faith. And I, I'm usually mentored to the Christian Legal Society or the Thomas More Society, and we interact with the Jewish Law Student Society. So the first thing is, for anyone out there, there's lots of students of faith who are really interested in, you know, seeking God's will and living it. <clears throat> so that's the first good news. Second, to the extent there is an obstacle, I don't see that in law students it's different from anyone else. It's 
the, the, it's the, 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 the rush to keep feeding yourself more information and accomplishment. It's one hurdle after another that is set up for you as, you know, what you really ought to be doing. Um, for people, I want to recommend, oh, God, I can't remember where he wrote it, but J.D. Vance, who wrote Hill, Hillbilly Elegy, has written, recently written an account of his conversion. <clears throat> you can find it online. I can't remember where, but it's when he stopped just gorging on accomplishments, and he went, wait a minute, are these actually my goals? And he stopped to think about what was making him happy. What 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 made a good friend for him? Wouldn't he like to be that kind of friend? What made uh, a family member he adored? Wouldn't he want to be that kind of family member? So again, I think for law students, like so many others, it's the, the, the temptation of one accomplishment hurdle after another, one test after another, um, mm. and and a not stopping to think, is this what I actually think is the, is the good life? And mm. I mean that in the normative sense, not just the financial. Right. And so you keep coming back, really, to making time and not having to constantly. And I mean, this sounds kind of difficult, especially because you have made incredible achievements in your life with working as a law professor, even achieving those levels of academia um, in a lot of your publications and books and organizations you founded. Um, Yet, you know, sometimes there's so much pressure to achieve on the younger generation. So they're going to look at you and say, okay, you're saying, you know, all this pressure is too much, um, but how right, can we but, kind but of look, rake what through did you it? Do? Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. So um, a couple of things. That's a, that's a really good question because people will say, <clears throat> you know, my God, you're dropping, giving me 50, 24, <laughs> 7. Um, that's not me. Don't tell me this is all possible. A couple of things. One is face the fact that most people in their life are not going to be achieving 25 different fabulous things. Um, face the fact, you know, the sort of the 18-year-old, the ah, if I can dream it, I can be it. Well, can I be real? No, you got to work on something and you're going to do like a couple of really great things. Right, but you're right. probably not going to do 25 and you're not going to be, you know, a drummer for a major band. Probably not. So We'll be right back with Helen Alvarez here on Trending with Timory. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Do you ever just run up against one of those arguments from a friend that is just like a really good feminist talking point and you disagree with it but you don't quite know how un- to unravel it we'll be talking about that in just a second with helen alvare you're listening to trending with timory the relevant radio studio line is sponsored by catholic order of foresters employment opportunities to become an agent or information about their flexible premium life insurance plans are available at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. My guest today is Helen Alvarez. She's a professor of law at Scalia Law School at George Mason University. She's consulted, as I mentioned earlier, with both Pope Francis and Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI as part of the Pontifical Council for the Laity. And she's also the president of Women Speak for Themselves. Helen, I want to talk a little bit about feminist language that is tripping a lot of people up. What do you see is the most difficult kind of feminist argument out there today to unravel? Um, I think there's actually two. One is the close connection they've made between um, abortion and women's rights, as if there's no daylight between them. And closely related that to that is the idea that women's 
responsibility for care for children is is a weakness and something that has to be overcome versus just an expression of gift that women have. Mm, yeah, especially I I think the two go hand in hand in many ways because yes. you know caring for a child is a sense of weakness for women. Naturally, abortion would just be a natural woman's right in order to make her happy and capable of accomplishing things in life. Yeah, and what makes it tricky, of course, is that. Um, it is the case that women's ability to have children and the fact that women do uh, disproportionately do the care for children has been held against them as opposed to it being credited to them as a sign of, of generosity, virtue, vocation. So part of what makes this argument so hard is because it is the case that our childbearing has been used to, to, to oppress us as opposed to uh, uh, elevating our status. So when you respond to that, then I think one of the first things one has to acknowledge is that it is true historically um, that children have been um, considered a weakness that women have. And I think the answer is not to give in to the idea that this is so. Uh, I don't see men giving in to this idea. If men were the ones who, who bore children and reared them, I don't think they would be saying, oh, I'm so sorry, this makes me so useless and weak. I think they'd be saying, look at me, I do this cool thing too. Um, and I think women really need to say, no, 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 this is obviously something that has been given to us by God. Even if people don't believe in God, it's given to us by nature. Women also disproportionately the world over choose to take care of children. They want children. They take care of them. Um, this is not just culture. This is nature. The the object of, of a true feminist position ought to be how to, to, to allow women to do what they really desire to do in this, to do it well, to the benefit of women and children and society. Um, it's not that all women will have this as, the, as the, something in their life, but the, the, the vast majority of women who do means it's something society has to value and take account of. And, and we can never have it used as a sign of our, of our weakness or our, you know, the fact that it will be called non-productive or irrational. No, absolutely not. I think that this is very relevant to what's happening right now with the coronavirus as well, because I'm hearing from a lot of women who are spending more time than maybe they ever have before with their children. And normally, you know, maybe they'd have, you know, some time for summer vacation or Christmas break, but they'd plan activities or they plan to see people. Now they're literally stuck in their homes with their children. And my message to these women is you can do this. And I think a lot of women think I could never do this. I couldn't be a stay at home mom. I couldn't take care of my kid this kind of level of exposure. But we women, I think especially Catholic women, need to help encourage and support women to understand that they're great gifts to care for children that you're talking about. Yeah, you know, one of the things I discovered when my children were small is that we were never intended to do this alone. So whenever I think we're speaking to women about their great gifts in this regard, um, like anything else in the Catholic life, it was not meant to be done autonomously from individual power and authority and choice. It it was always meant to be done in community. And mm. um, and so it, it I think we do have to assure people that, of course, of course, you're made to be able to rear your children without, you know, and obviously some kids are harder than others and some uh, some kids are not you know, maybe in teenage year or whatever, or not really delighted to be home with you all the time. But to always say this was meant to be done in community, to have other families over, to to have relatives involved, etc., then you can do it. To actually say that 
you know, to make a perfect life, to dream up all the activities, to keep them going in school, to keep the house going, to keep the food interesting and tasty. We were never meant to do this alone. It was meant to be not only a project of the family, but a project of a community of families, an extended family. And part of what makes coronavirus so very difficult is that what is needed to sustain the family is not just mom and dad's fabulous ideas and time, <laughs> and, you know, timetable, uh, but, but the community that we can't have. Um, and, and, and that, that I'm sure they're being reminded of that by trying to do it all of themselves too. (laughs) And it's a good reminder too. Maybe, you know, we're in a time where a lot of people are disconnected, not just from family, but even from having good friendships and we're not making the time for those friendships or to have, you know, simple, fun conversations with people that really help us to have another perspective on life, having children and all of those things we deal with day to day. You're listening to Helen Alvarez here on Trending with Timory. Helen, you are the president of Women Speak for Themselves. It's a massive organization, women across the nation, where you really work to empower women to understand they need to speak up and they need to speak on these issues that are confronting the culture, such as when we saw last year after all of these um, abortion bans and then at the same time, you know, the passage of abortion laws into state constitutions, making it uh, affirming the legality of it through all nine months of a women's pregnancy. Um, we saw 200 almost CEOs signed letters saying that abortion bans were bad for business. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. things like this, you were emphasizing women need to speak up. So when you hear the argument, quote unquote, trust women, especially regarding abortion and contraception, what's your response? Um, Again, the, the first thing is that that is a deliberate attempt to say that Anything that anybody thinks is a good idea must be a good idea. And obviously the people who are saying that don't believe any such thing. So that's not a good place to start a conversation. That's not an honest beginning. You know, I mean, obviously women, and we would say theologically, who have original sin at the same level as men, um, obviously women and men, we, we all make some really stupid and even bad and even evil choices. Um, so that that's just a non-starter. If we trust women, then, you know, women have been slightly more than half of pro-life opinion in the United States for all these years. So what, we just win? I wish, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that's not an honest basis for the beginning of it. An honest conversation will ask, what's the choice we're talking about? I mean, Justice Scalia once had a great line when someone was talking about um, finding constitutional rights by, you know, what was really important to the individual. And he said, that's like asking whether someone has the right to shoot a gun without asking if anyone's standing in front of it. Because you always have to consider exactly the choice you're talking about making and who all is affected and have an honest conversation about it. Not some, you know, catchy thing intended to, you know, drive a political campaign, but not intended to be honest, like just trust women. Mm. I think that one of the things that we have to offer are the many stories of women, you know, and the reality is, is that arguments don't always win um, people's minds and hearts. It's the stories that they yes. hear. And the pro-life mm-hmm. movement has so many incredible stories. I mean, I've had the opportunity to work for many years in the crisis pregnancy centers and to see these women's lives transformed. They can speak and they can tell their story, which is a part of what your organization has focused on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I was just reading this morning again. It was 
somebody's conversion story, and they said, you know, syllogisms really never won hearts, right? You know, if A, then B, <laughs> if B, then C, if A, then C. It's, it's good to have those answers because faith is rational, and the pro-life position is uber-rational and scientific, um, but it's really also important to just demonstrate that the, the thing you're proposing, the answer you're proposing, is actually a beautiful path of life, and that someone who has chosen that has a life that you admire. And, and you want to know, you're, when you're with them, you feel less afraid, or you feel inspired, or you say, I want a life like that. I mean, um, and, and I think, I remember when I toured the United States, um, when I worked in pro-life for the, for the U.S. bishops nationally, and I would meet one crisis pregnancy center director after another, and I would think to myself, oh, yeah, I was in my 20s and early 30s, and I thought, okay, that's, that's who I want to mature into. They're calm. They're, money is, you know, either not coming in or rolling out the door. They're not panicked. They're trusting God on this. They're taking it one woman at a time. They know they're doing the right thing. They're loving person to person. And that definitely has an effect over the long run. Now, I, I was just going to, this relates to a question you asked earlier about, you know, people feeling overwhelmed at accomplishing good things in their life. It's really the choices you make every day, you know, to do God's will, to plot along. Most of it's not glamorous, but you're building something. And if, and if you know, if, if my resume for worldly accomplishments or someone else's lifetime of goodness looks really attractive to you, you can definitely get there. It's just every day, it's grunt work. You plot along, you plot along, and, and every once in a while, there's little updrafts of progress uh, that you can really see. But, but mostly, it, it just, it will come, but it just takes time. Helen Alvarez is with us here on Trending with Timory. Helen, what is your message to women, but also especially students, who find that this idea of family and motherhood are a direct contradiction to having a career in education? And maybe they're starting to plan and they're making decisions to not have children or be sterilized. What's your message to these women? From the perspective of uh, of a woman with three adult children, that your sense of happiness, your sense of having given something of yourself, your sense of um, learning and, and growing as your children are learning and growing and keeping in touch with the world and the science of the times, it, I am immeasurably more free, more intelligent, more thoughtful, and more happy because I have children. And, you know, now they're mostly out of the house, and I have all day and all night to read and write if I want to. I'm not getting any more done than I did when they were home with me, because they, I, I, you want to give yourself. Giving of yourself actually is building up of energy <laughs> and, and ideas. Um, there's, there's no article in the world that, that like, you know, 99.9% .9 of people could write, no statement they could make, no political contribution they could make that would be as great as the contribution of, of contributing yourself to a child. It's, it, 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 it adds, it doesn't take away. That doesn't mean your life isn't going to be a little crazy for a while. That you don't have to deal with lots of imperfections, and there were lots of things I had to say no to, lots and lots. I, I was supposed to negotiate for the Holy See at a couple of big United Nations conferences, and I just mm. would not leave my small children. 
I was supposed to represent the U.S. at John Paul II's funeral mass. I just wouldn't leave the kids. But I found that giving up things that seemed like big plums, it just didn't matter in the long run. I, I was fulfilling my vocation at home, but also at work in other ways. Um, so the, the world can't demand that of you. You can't let them demand that you give that up. And frankly, if you stand firm and keep your chin up and say, that's absolutely ridiculous. You wouldn't ask that of a man. You're not going to ask mm-hmm. it of a woman. Amen. You know what part of life satisfaction that is. And I know you, you couldn't possibly mean that. You couldn't mm-hmm. possibly mean that. That's, that's not wise or kind at all. But you have to be, it's, it's almost like wearing fashion that you can get away with because you're confident about it. <laughs> I find the same way, you know, I've been talking about abortion or contraception or same-sex marriage or religious freedom or all these hugely neuralgic hot-button subjects. But because I do my work and I, I know my facts and I have a confidence about me, it, it puts me in good stead. The same is true about choosing to get married, choosing to have kids. You can also, and not just also, but probably partly because of marriage and children, make fabulous contributions to the world. That, that if it is your vocation to marry and have children, you couldn't make those contributions without them. You would be intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally impoverished without them, if that's your vocation. Wow, Helen, that's beautiful. Thank you. Because I think that this is something that I need to hear and not just young women, but all women need to hear that boosting of confidence that your contribution in having children includes your body, your soul, your intellect. It's not not working. It's working in a profoundly different way, engaging with a person and you learn from them and that influences your work. I have one more question for you, Helen. And if you would like to find Helen and her work, you can find her at womenspeakforthemselves.com. Again, that's womenspeakforthemselves.com. My question this. How do you say women can better represent themselves in the workplace in a competitive or might I even say effective way that doesn't belittle and degrade men in the way our society does? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I guess I one of my firmest Christian convictions is the radical equality of persons, you know, no matter race, nation, etc. And that includes men and women. Men and women are the original diversity alongside equality, right? That's the original piecing together of those two things. And to me, you know, I, I acknowledge that men are different. They're not always going to do things the way I would do it and vice versa. Not always. Well, I have a lot in common <laughs> with a lot of men. But, um, but there are some differences. And it's better to watch and listen and learn than to just criticize and condemn. Um, I find that, you know, listening to people first and figuring out what their strengths are and then actually verbalizing when I don't understand or I disagree, not just not acting on it, not being, but just trying to get at it um, is really important. So listening first and then learning about these differences. Second, I find you know, this isn't going to be true. Not every workplace is going to be fair. I'm not going to say they are, and if you, you know, take my advice, it'll all work out. But I find that being, like, really, really confident about the, the thing that you do. Again, you're not going to do 50 things, but you're going to do a few things. Be really good at them. And first of all, you don't have to suffer from lack of self-esteem and the feeling of, you know, imposter syndrome. You're not going to be worried all the time. Being competent and seeing your work as a service so confidence versus fear and service versus competition and just I have to get to X, 
I'm not saying it's easy. It wasn't really until my late 30s or 40s that I really internalized these and wasn't asking, have I reached this mark, this mark, this mark, versus what needs to be done and what am I good at so that I could fulfill that. And, mm. what, you know, I need to be really good at X. I, I say to people, you know, be the smartest person in the room on your narrow thing. And then this whole question of competing or beating or being sarcastic or unkind or competitive it mostly goes away. <laughs> and I'm only <laughs> hoping that people can reach this before I do. One thing I just want to uh, uh, comment on, women speak for themselves. It did have to close down that website um, in terms of its being active. It's still got great content on it that I put there before, but I just couldn't fundraise on top of everything else. So speaking so where of can people not find being you? able to multitask, it's, okay. well, for me, the best place to find my Women Speak for Themselves still has a lot of stuff on the site, but if you go on to the Social Science Research Network, SSRN.com, all my writing and literature is on that. I also have the books... Um, Putting Children's Interests First in Family Law, which is a lot about contraception and the sexual revolution. That's in paperback from Cambridge University. And um, another book called Breaking Through, Catholic Women Speak for Themselves with Our Sunday Visitor. Those are just two of them that I, I think might be useful. Excellent. That is law professor Helen Alvare. Again, you can find writings of hers at ssrn.com. We'll link to it at relevantradio.com under the trending page. And also check out her books on Amazon. They are a great read. And again, we talk about being intellectuals in the Catholic tradition. This is a great place to start if you want to be more eloquent and effective when speaking about abortion and contraception. Thank you so much for joining us, Helen. We'll have to have you back again soon. It was very kind of you to have me. Thanks, and all the best to you during this time. Thank you. You can listen to more of Trending with Timory via the Relevant Radio app or at relevantradio.com slash trending.